0: Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Hello, my name is Tim and I have the fantastic job of being a team leader for Discover at Ivy Church. Now, Discover is all about how you and I can help others come to know the love of Jesus if you don't know Jesus yet and you want to know him at the end end of this talk I will give the opportunity to say yes and begin following him. So we're in a series called Brave by Faith exploring the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Now Daniel showed what courageous faith looks like time and time again over the course of his life. King Nebuchadnezzar the most powerful ruler in the known world at that time had marched into Jerusalem with his army, destroyed the city and destroyed the temple. Large numbers of the Jewish people were taken back to Babylon as prisoners. From this group, four were selected to serve the king, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and of course, Daniel. Now it's hard to overstate how powerful a man King Nebuchadnezzar was. He had conquered the Assyrians who had controlled Babylon for hundreds of years. He took control of Israel and later conquered the Egyptian empire as well. No wonder then that after the overthrow of Jerusalem, the Jews called Nebuchadnezzar the destroyer of nations. What an accolade. His life and accomplishments are not only recorded in the Bible, but in other ancient records as well. According to historians, his prayer was that he would have no opponent from horizon to sky. That's what you would call an aggressive foreign policy. The legendary hanging gardens of Babylon he built are considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And according to historians, in his day, maps of the world has had Nebuchadnezzar's royal city, Babylon, at their centre. Now imagine, you're a Jewish exile living in Babylon. How would you feel? Small and insignificant, with the God of your face, seemingly dwarfed by the unstoppable power of this nation, their gods and their pagan king? With that in mind, the key question that is being asked in the book of Daniel and it is asked by people of faith from generation to generation is this, who is really in control? Is it Nebuchadnezzar or is it God? How you answer that question is very important. It will affect how you see everything and how you live your life. If you look at the events that continually unfold around us, the social, political, economic upheaval, what conclusions do you draw? who do you think is really in control? Maybe you think it's Angela Merkel, Joe Biden or Vladimir Putin. But then how about the takeover of Afghanistan by the Taliban and the humbling of Western governments? Maybe you conclude it's Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates. Or maybe for you, the shock in the last year has been that COVID has shown us how little control we really do have. Now, it would be understandable to conclude that if God is real, he isn't in control at best God might just end up being a source of personal comfort or at worst you might conclude he doesn't exist at all it's all pointless just give up now <laughs> you were hoping for some encouragement today right so who is really in control this is the question that is going to be addressed in this chapter of Daniel that we're going to be looking at today Now, allow me to get a little geeky for a moment while I explain something about the style of Hebrew literature to which the book of Daniel belongs. You see, in Western literature, when you make an argument, you build up to that argument that you make at the end based on the evidence or the ideas that you've presented along the way. In Hebrew literature, the argument comes in the middle with the ideas and themes presented before the main argument, and then again afterwards in reverse order. This structure and style of writing is called a chiasm, okay? So the book of Daniel is split into two parts. The first part, chapters two to seven, is written in this chiastic structure with chapter four right at the center. And this is where we're going to arrive at the main message of the whole book. So chapter four, let's take a look. Let's start in verse four. So Nebuchadnezzar is writing this and he says that he was in his palace, contented and prosperous, at this point in life, he has achieved everything he could ever achieve. He's made it, but he then has a dream that makes him very, very afraid and nothing and no one can help him. This is the dream. He saw a huge tree, so tall it touched the sky, visible to the ends of the earth. It leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant and under it all kinds of birds and animals found shelter. Then an angel appears and says, cut the tree down, strip it of all its branches, leave it only the stump. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live among the animals and become like them. But why, you might be wondering. Well, the angel tells us, so that, everyone say, so that. Here it comes. The key message of the whole book of Daniel, and it's going to come three times in this chapter, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone who wishes, and sets them over the lowliest of people. In other words, this is going to happen so that everyone may know and he may know the Lord is in control. Let me say that again. If you remember nothing else, remember this today. The Lord is in control. Now, Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel to explain this dream to him. Daniel knows it's really about Nebuchadnezzar. It's not a dream, it's more of a nightmare for him. So Daniel tells him, it's all about you. Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. You have become great. Your kingdom is extended across the whole earth, but you're about to be cut down. It's about to come to an end for you. You will be driven away from people. You will live with the wild animals and become like them until you acknowledge, and here it is a second time, that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and gives them to anyone who wishes. In other words, he's saying, look, Nebuchadnezzar, you may be the most powerful man in the world, but you only have that power because God allows you to have it. The Lord is in control. And then he says, if you acknowledge that heaven rules, i.e. not you, then you will be restored. And this is incredible here. Imagine how brave Daniel is to say this, brave by faith. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, renounce your prideful sins, do what is right, Stop your wickedness and be kind to the oppressed. Maybe then your prosperity will continue. Daniel, he speaks truth to power. That takes courage and faith. And what happens? Nothing for a whole year. In verse 29, it says, 12 months later. How would, you, how would you have felt if you were Daniel? I wonder how he was feeling. Maybe thought that this would be the moment that everything would finally change and Nebuchadnezzar would finally get it. But nothing happens for a whole year. Maybe he's praying for the king every day, we don't know. But eventually, one day, 12 months later, the king is walking on the roof of his royal palace, master of all he surveys, and then he says to himself, is this not the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? And yet, even as the words are on his lips, God speaks to him and says, your royal authority has been taken away from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until, and here it is, a third and final time, this time from God himself, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, everything that was said is fulfilled. He is driven away from his people, out of his mind. It says his hair grew grew like feathers of an eagle and nails like the claws of a bird. Disgusting. When he hit rock bottom, And we don't know how long it took. Some commentators think it was seven years. He finally raised his eyes to heaven. His sanity was restored. And Nebuchadnezzar says this, I praise the Most High. I honour and glorify him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And get this, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And that is where the chapter ends. Now, what is amazing about this whole chapter, chapter four, is that it is actually written as a letter from Nebuchadnezzar to the whole world. It's like this great big public confession to all the same people that he had previously commanded to bow down to him. Through this whole experience, this mighty king who would not humble himself, even when he was warned, was humbled and brought low until he acknowledged that not he but the Lord is in control. And because of that, God, who opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, restored him and he became greater than he was before. Okay, so there are two things I want to draw out for us today an encouragement and a challenge. First, an encouragement. According to Open Doors, 340 million Christians around the world suffer persecution and discrimination. Think of the Christians living in Afghanistan right now, facing the prospect of a Taliban rule and Sharia law for the indefinite future. According to Open Doors, Afghanistan is rated as the second most dangerous place to be a Christian today, second only to North Korea. This chapter and whole book offers encouragement to believers living under oppressive regimes, that though it may look like evil is triumphing, the Lord is in control. It also gives us hope as followers of Jesus in our own country, as we look around and see the gap between the ways of God and the decisions that our leaders make, because we mustn't take it for granted or assume that one day we won't suffer for being followers of Jesus too. No matter what happens, this gives us hope that God is at work. In the most unexpected places, with the most unlikely people, it may be unseen and invisible to us. Maybe we have to wait years to see it, or maybe we'll never see it, but God is at work. That is why we must pray for our brothers and sisters living with persecution. We must pray for their leaders, and we must pray for our leaders too. In his book, Secrets of a Prayer Warrior, Derek Prince says, if we find ourselves complaining about our leaders, we have neglected our duty to pray. Wow. Wow. Now, it's a scary thing to stand before a king, but one day each and every one of us will stand before the judgment throne of Christ. All of us followers and all of our leaders of whatever party or persuasion will have to give an account for their leadership before the throne of God. So we must pray for them. They need a lot of grace. We need to pray and we need to be patient. It's difficult to get a sense of the time that passes when you read the Bible. But Daniel had have been about 15 when he was first taken into exile and around 80 or 90 at the end of this book. So yes, there are moments of incredible breakthrough when everything looks set to change, but there's also very long gaps when nothing seems to be happening and maybe even things look like they're getting worse. So we keep praying, waiting patiently, quietly trusting while God does his secret hidden work, remembering all the time The Lord is in control. The second thing is this, a challenge. As I was reading this and reflecting on this passage, a thought came to me. I am Nebuchadnezzar. His story is my story. His story is our story. How often do we live thinking that we are in control of our own lives? We live as we please and do as we please, pursuing our own goals and ambitions and congratulating ourselves for achieving them. And yet... God in his loving kindness patiently and firmly pursues us like he pursued Nebuchadnezzar, allowing him to be brought low, stripped of everything external that he had created and built for himself, that was the result and the source of his pride until he would humble himself by turning to God. And this is my story. I turned to Jesus right at a time when I seemed to have everything, a great career, a central London flat, a lavish lifestyle, but inside I felt dead, I was lost, and I was anxious and the truth is that I knew God was calling me to turn to him but for months I was resisting him one day when I was visiting my family in Manchester I actually came along to an ivy service and that day I finally said okay God if you're really there I need you and that day I experienced the love, kindness of mercy in God in ways that I could never have imagined and I finally surrendered to him and acknowledged that he is in control and I remember after that feeling incredibly small and insignificant in the perspective of the Almighty God, but at the same time, more loved than I've ever been in my whole life. And I can tell you honestly that the life I have now is so much better than the life that I had before. It doesn't even compare. And so the question this passage invites all of us to ask is this, who is in control of your life? Are you in control of your life or is the Lord in control of your life? Until you ask the Lord to be in control, you'll find no lasting peace. Nothing will ever be enough. Jim Carey famously said, I wish everyone could experience being famous and rich so they could see it isn't the answer to anything. I've heard it said that the mark of maturity of a follower of Jesus is when a person stops asking God to help them with their plans and instead asks for help to follow his. It isn't a one-time thing. It's a decision we need to make every single day to humble ourselves and to turn to him. And yet the amazing promise is that if we do that, he will raise you up. And so I wonder, how might God be coming to you in this moment of your life? Maybe things aren't quite right. Maybe you've been asking questions about why. Maybe you've been ignoring what's really going on on the inside. Maybe like Nebuchadnezzar or like me, it's actually God trying to get through to you? What's stopping you from turning to him today? Now, you might say, well, why should I surrender to God? What gives him the right to be in control? It's a good question. If you take time to read on, the book of Daniel points us forward to a coming king who would establish the kingdom of God on earth. Even the very best human leaders fall and every empire will crumble. From the perspective of history, they are here today and gone tomorrow. But Daniel saw one who would come, the son of God and son of man, the only one who is fit to rule forever. For the people in his time, he hadn't yet come. But for us, he has, his name is Jesus. And one day he will come again and make all things right. In the New Testament, It tells us about this humble King of Kings in the book of Philippians chapter two. This is what it says. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that jesus christ is lord to the glory of the father the lord is in control let's pray and if you would like to ask jesus to be the lord of your life to control over to him maybe for the first time or again today pray with me Lord thank you that you gave up control when you surrendered your life for me on the cross Lord i give up control and surrender my life to you fill me with your love help me to live for you in Jesus name amen thanks for listening for more podcasts go to ivychurch.org/media